The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome to my program, Afternoons with Mike, heard daily here on The Shepherd. At the NRB last week, I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of people. I've got some of them lined up for you today, including author Freddie Davis. Here at the NRB with a new friend, Freddie Davis, along with Tal Davis, are the authors of a book called Shattering the Truth Mirage. Now that is quite an image. And we know that truth is so important. It's incredibly important. But in this day and age, truth by some people's definitions, (laughs) it can be anything goes. Freddie is uh, quite versed in world travel. He spent years in Japan, also in Latvia, uh, in the what was the uh, aftermath of when communism fell in the Soviet Republic. And he spent a number of years uh, doing that kind of missionary work. This organization that he leads is called Market Faith Ministries. That, too, is a cool name. And I'm happy to welcome Freddie Davis. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be with you today. You know, Freddie, when I sit and talk with you, you are such a friendly person. You you seem like one of these uh, just really great American uh, individuals that I, I would never have dreamed that you have quite the international flair that you have. Uh, you've been all over the place. You've learned the Japanese language. You had to communicate in the Russian. What what language? It was the Latvian language. The Latvian, actually. yeah, Latvian mm-hmm. language. Uh, I don't I don't even know the first word in that. So that's pretty impressive. But the beautiful thing about it is not just learning the languages. It's what you were doing with it. Because one of the heartbeats of your ministry is discipleship of taking the truths of the gospel into these areas, and now you're doing it through this, this incredible book that you've written. Right. Uh, Market Faith Ministries is a worldview discipleship ministry, and my primary focus is to help American Christians to kind of understand the societal environment that we live in, and particularly to be able to communicate the gospel across the the worldview barriers that now are so predominant in American society. There are so many barriers like that in this society. And isn't it true? Don't you think this is true? That every day we wake up, it's like there are a couple of more that weren't there yesterday. This is a growing time of barriers. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the the different uh, worldview belief systems that are out there uh, are they're they're just expanding all over the place it's uh, it's uh hardly a day goes by it seems that, that right. you're not hearing of some other group that's uh emerging out and so now you yourself you are a seminary graduate and you have a heart did you spend any years as a pastor in in america oh yeah absolutely uh right out of seminary i pastored a couple of years before we went overseas and then after we came back to America, then I uh, did some interim pastorate work, and then I started another church, and uh, then I ended up uh, doing some more interim work, and then became a uh, senior pastor again, 
uh, before I finally decided to take Market Faith Ministries to a full-time situation. And you know, there's just nothing that is more exciting to me to think that a person who has that kind of background is adding all of that experience and pastoral experience as well into this whole thing of discipleship. Because that, at a lot of churches, I talk to a lot of pastors, and it's so interesting to me that we're in that situation in, in the American church where discipleship is kind of more rare than normal. And it actually needs to be uh, more common than normal because the, the, the truth is, it's very difficult if you don't, if particularly with this uh, understanding the worldview concepts. If you don't understand those, then it's it's very difficult to even conceive of how to interact with certain different groups within mm-hmm. society. Yeah, I tell you, the Lord told us to be disciple makers. And I, I'm convicted by that. There was a time in my life where I was deeply active and more so than I am at this very moment. And this has been a discussion at our own church. We're talking about this right now and realizing that, yeah, we, we, there are aspects of it that is there. But I think it's cool that you've taken this to the full time and that you're running with it. And this title, Shattering the Truth Mirage, now tell me uh, what's the background behind all of that? Well, the, the prior book to this one was called The Truth Mirage. And the focus of that book is, is to basically give a foundation, an understanding of the concept of worldview. What is worldview and what are the worldview possibilities? And the way that uh, we deal with it is that there are four basic worldview categories. Mm-hmm. And every religion, cult, and philosophy that exists in the world is some expression of those four. And so if you can understand what those foundations are, then it doesn't matter what faith group you come up across, uh, it becomes very easy to understand because whatever group it is, their essential beliefs are all an expression of the foundational worldview belief. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having to think about learning 5,000 different belief systems, if you can understand the four worldview categories, then you hear what... uh, any particular belief system is and you find out what their core beliefs are and you can tie it directly to one of the worldview categories makes it very very simple to uh to 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 kind of make sense of all of the different belief systems that are out there now how would you describe this crazy worldview that's going on right now in this country How does that fit into these four things that you're describing? Well, probably the most prominent and most uh, dominant, really, worldview that is currently in American society is called naturalism. And it's simply the belief that uh, the only thing that exists is the natural universe operating by natural laws. Uh, Essentially, it's all of the different faith systems that are atheist. Mm -hmm. And that dominates uh, the education uh, institutions. It dominates the news media. It dominates the political system. It dominates the business uh, arena. And and you see the expression of that uh, out in society. You know, all of the woke stuff. That's all expressions of a naturalistic worldview. And so if you understand, you know, what their core beliefs are, then 
as you, I mean, the entertainment industry, we watch a TV show or a movie, and you've got all of this stuff that we as Christians would consider, you know, immoral sexual behavior and all. That's straight. It's just a pure naturalistic approach to understanding reality. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, you know, you can look at like a movie like or a TV show and, and see how they're acting immorally, you know, sexually immoral uh, in, in sexually immoral ways. And you know that that comes from a naturalistic belief system. But, you know, there's other other movies like um, Avatar. You know, that's been real a big. Uh, the second one just come out. Uh, and you look at that and that is a beautiful expression of an animistic worldview. Uh, you look at movies uh, like Star Wars, and that's you know the the pantheistic, the the far eastern pantheistic monism uh, kind of ideas, and and you know, where you've got the 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 Force, mm-hmm. and so you can you can even see it in uh, in in our media and in our our entertainment industry, and know where all of these things are coming from, and so if you're talking with somebody that that is you know from one of those backgrounds understanding the worldview concepts gives you just tremendous insight on how to talk to them and in particular like what uh, shattering the truth mirage is all about how do you communicate from our christian theistic foundation across that barrier in a way where they can understand what you're even talking about. So there's a good measure of apologetics Mm. and apologetic training that's part of this book because every one of us, whether or not we realize it, we need to be apologists. I mean, you know, the question is not, are we that? The question is, what kind of apologist are we? Are we a good one or a bad one? I think if R.C. Sproul made that statement about theology, we're all theologians. We're either good ones or bad ones. And so what you're doing is you're equipping people to really know how and giving them the understanding uh, of these worldview, not to be surprised by what's going on. I think many of us are surprised what's going on in our country, and probably we shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the the beauty of thinking of things in, it, it's kind of a paradigm, you know, this worldview uh, paradigm because that kind of lays the foundation that, mm-hmm. that gives us kind of the big picture of not only what other people believe, but we can, we can put our own Christian faith within that and know where it fits in relationship to all of the others. And it gives us a means of comparing and contrasting and a means for bridging it. And so you start out with the, uh, with the, the foundation of understanding the concept of worldview and then all of these other things just spring out of it uh, like uh, with shattering the focus is on, on evangelism how do you share the gospel across those worldview barriers but you mentioned uh, apologetics and uh, one of the one of the really important ways in fact it's going to be the next book in the the Truth Mirage series is going to call, be called Assaulting the Truth Mirage, uh, which is how do you deal with people who are attacking you mm-hmm. from a different worldview perspective? Yeah. And basically, it gives us a means for not only pushing back, but making them defend their faith because they're coming from some other perspective that they're not willing to 
or I say not willing, probably don't even realize themselves that they're coming from. And, That's right. and never really even thought about that, hey, I'm, I'm attacking him, but I'm attacking him from some perspective. So how do they defend theirs? And uh, before we should feel compelled to feel on the defensive about trying to defend our faith, we need to get on at least level playing ground. That's really well said. And so, yeah, so, so this idea of, of a worldview uh, really gives us a lot of different ways to express the ideas. And even when we talk about our own Christian faith, uh, w- there, there are certain basic concepts. You know, who is God? What is man? What is salvation? Th- that every single worldview, every single belief system answers those same three questions. They just answer them in their own way. Hmm. We as Christians answer those questions, and that uh, the the answer that the Bible gives to those three questions gives us the um, uh, really the core gospel message. Mm-hmm. That's when we share the gospel. That's what we're doing. We're saying, "Who is God? What is man? What is salvation?" What I like about what you're teaching, if I'm hearing this rightly, it really works in any culture. It it works in any, let's say, expression of society. Right now, many would say, like, what's happened to our country? I mean, we've changed seemingly overnight. But these four worldviews really work regardless of how the pendulum is swinging this way or that way in, in society. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of using this particular paradigm because it gives us uh, a, a, a real foundation for dealing with every aspect of faith, whether it's our faith or other faiths, uh, and how to interact and how to deal with them, how to understand our Christian faith. Even, you know, one of the, one of the maybe, uh, I'll say frustrating or disappointing things maybe about even among us as Christians, there's so much diversity mm-hmm. that uh, the the unity that we as Christians ought to have seems to get pushed by the wayside way too often. And the reason that that happens, I believe, uh, so much is because we're not focusing on the core essentials of the Christian faith. All the the diversity is outside of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you get on these these other uh, getting get, dealing with these issues that are uh, certainly issues you know within the realm of our Christian faith and theology, but they're not the essential core. Mm-hmm. And if we can bond together on the essential core and then just have grace towards each other on those other things, uh, we could be the, we could have the kind of unity that Christ said that the church ought to have. You know, I think of the old saying, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Exactly. That's what we really need to do. And then we also need to remember what I'm hearing you say is that we need to really strive to be known, not by our, our theology or whatever, but by our love. Our love for each other. Let that be the most important thing that people get. And regardless of where they are in those four different worldviews, uh, love is uh, transcending all of those things. Well, it certainly does. And of course, uh, in in the Christian faith, we we not only know what the source of love is, but we know the source of love. That's so and, right. And so, that's, the, and that's, that's really right. that's really the key, you know, in understanding yeah. our Christian faith. When we talk about who is God, uh, what is man, and what is salvation, 
the core is not the you know the intellectual theological points of view but it's the relationship that we have with with god he's an an actual real person that we that we as actual real persons also created in his image mm-hmm. are able to know in a personal actual objectively real relationship for the men that are listening right now that are not being either discipled or they're not discipling somebody else in a 30-second encouragement what would you say to them well I'm real big on on using the worldview paradigm because it gives us the the means for uh, for, for dealing with all of the different issues that we need to be able to express as Christians. And I would say start with understanding the, this worldview paradigm. And, and I would point people to um, our uh, ministry website, www.marketfaith.org. There's tons and tons of resources there uh, besides the books. I mean, free things, articles and blogs and uh, videos and all kinds of things that we have posted there and, and and start getting an understanding of of this worldview concept because that is going to be a foundation for you having a solid solid uh, grasp of uh, of your own faith hmm. and with that you can go in all kind of different directions you can you know it, it helps with your own spiritual growth it helps with mentoring people who are not as far along as you are. It helps with being able to share your faith to people that, uh, regardless of what their their religious background is, it gives you the means for doing the apologetics. I mean, it's it's really the foundation for it all. And so I would just encourage people to, to jump in in there and, and get started with it. That sounds great. Well, this has been so refreshing to talk to Freddie Davis and he along with Tal. What's the uh, relationship between you guys? We're friends. <laughs> we're, we're actually no not last re- name relationship. No, huh? it's uh, funny because we, he, we both grew up in Tallahassee. Oh, and wow. uh, we were we graduated from high school, different high schools at the same time. We met in high school, but we are not related as far as uh, that's uh, funny. I, I would know. have guessed for sure. I know most that, people do. That you were that, and it's nice to know that you are a fellow uh, citizen of the great free state of Florida. Amen. That's awesome. Shattering the Truth Mirage is his new book, How to Share a Witness Across worldview barriers. Freddie Davis, thank you for being here. We wish you the best. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to be with you. Well, this is awesome at the NRB, and I'll be back in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. 
Here at the NRB, and I have to tell you folks in this segment, actually two segments with my next guest, James Spencer is the leader of the Moody Center. I've had him on the program a couple of times now. This is not to be confused with Moody in Chicago, as we're going to learn. He's going to give the background of the Moody Center and how he came, uh, because I know a lot of people would not realize just all that is going on at the Moody Center. But James, right now, he earned a Ph.D. in theological studies from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's the author of Useful to God, Eight Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody, and hence his relationship with the Moody Center, as well as Thinking Christian Essays on Testimony, Accountability, and the Christian Mind. He's also uh, the author of a, a brand new book that I'm holding in my hand right now, and it's called Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. And I might add along with that as a final comment, one of the coolest covers of a book I've seen in a long time. James Spencer, welcome to my program. Thanks for having me back, Mike. It's, it's always great. good to be here. Now, I, you know, everyone who just heard you are thinking what I thought, that the dude, that guy has the best voice. <laughs> you do, my man. I've it's, had it since junior high, so if you can imagine a little kid talking like this, it's uh, it's been with me for a while. You remind me so much of a guy that I was in high school with, and it was in uh, choir, and we, I, it was like a performing choir that we were in mm -hmm. and our music teacher who was really well known in our area the entire area not just the school uh caught on to this guy his name was nick and nick could sing this bass note that was the lowest bass note and our piano player had never heard another student anywhere be able to handle this i forget what note it was it was like b flat way low sure and, yeah and, and he just kept going down i think you might be able to do that my man <laughs> possible yeah <laughs> i try not to sing but uh people ask me not to sing but talking i can handle no usually why would they ask you now have you ever done no i've singing? never i've never tried to learn to sing um and uh, I was just, I had a guy in line up here. He heard me talk and he's like, I could teach you how to sing. I could teach you how to use yeah, you, that. You've got the national, so, the natural range. It, it is kind there. of exciting to think, hey, maybe I could actually use this for uh, for good as opposed to just talking. I may have to do <laughs> some uh, doctoring of my voice right up next to yours here. Because <laughs> I think right now I'm sounding like Mickey Mouse. Maybe. I can go a little lower <laughs> if that helps. There's, uh, Really oh, that's awesome. It. James, tell us a little bit about that, what I was mentioning before, your kind of uh, entrance into and involvement with the Moody Center. Yeah, so I was involved in academics. I was an academic dean at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and was just uh, looking for a new challenge, really. Uh, had been in academics for 11 years, academic administration primarily, and uh, wanted a break. And so I'd, I'd been uh, talking with the D.L. Moody Center in Northfield, Massachusetts for some time, and they felt they could use me, and I was like, this sounds great. So I moved over to D.L. Moody Center in 2018 and really began to learn a little bit more about D.L. Moody. Uh, even being at Moody Bible Institute, I haven't really studied D.L. Moody. My background is primarily in Old Testament theology, and so it really wasn't sort of part of my subject area to go into D.L. But... Uh, when I entered into the D.L. Moody Center, I was like, I should probably learn a little bit about who I'm, who I'm leading this That's organization. Right, yeah. Like, who's the That'd founder? Be a good idea. What is this yeah. guy? 
And so uh, I started digging into our digital archive project and reading his letters and papers that he'd written to his family, to his friends. And I really found uh, it was just a refreshing moment for me. You know, you're listening to this guy who was largely uneducated, uh, largely uneducated, had maybe five years of formal education uh, before he had to stop and work for his family's livelihood. But the way he spoke to people in his letters, the way he wrote to them was so deeply theological, so deeply rooted in his faith. And I just came away from those letters thinking, I don't know that I talk to people this way. And so it was a really challenging moment where you've, you know, you've gone through all this formal education and you have all these wonderful privileges of earning a PhD and being able to study the Bible deeply. But this guy who just really lived his faith out progressively is, is speaking theologically in ways that are just in casual conversation that I didn't. And you're hearing these speeches. You're hearing this man's heart, not from meeting him, or, or being alongside of him, mm-hmm. but through what was written about him and by him. That's right. It's, it's letters by D.L. Moody written to others and letters about D.L. Moody written from others. And so that's really what we have of D.L. There's only one audio recording. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty garbled. Um, you can't really tell what he's like. Mm-hmm. Um, but these letters that we're preserving are really fantastic and important. And so, yeah, I think... Having moved from academia into D.L. Moody Center, what I've found is a cadence of life and a renewed sense of spirituality and just closeness with Christ that I didn't have through all my academic pursuits. And so now, even as I read and research and continue some of those scholarly efforts, I just feel far more um, uh, closer to Christ while I'm doing it. it. It's not any longer just a labor of skill or an interesting activity that I happen to be okay at, right? Like it's right. not just an academic exercise. It's part of how I grow my faith. And I would attribute that to learning about and following the example of D.L. Moody. That's great. Now you mentioned that you've got a PhD. What yes. was your study? What it, What was your uh, thesis? What did you write on? All right, get ready for some geek talk. Um, All so, right, uh, geek yeah. me out, man. So I, I earned my PhD in theological studies with an emphasis in Old Testament. Um, and whenever you do a dissertation, you have to find an area where other people haven't really written on. And so I decided to do sort of an interdisciplinary dissertation. So I looked at the Sabbath commands in the Old Testament, primarily the Ten Commandments, through the lens of a sociological discipline called collective remembering. And that's what my dissertation was on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 And I am sure that was stellar. Did it become a book? Did it become an article? I never did. Uh, I never did publish it. But I, I think what it did for me was it set me on a trajectory of more interdisciplinary type of research and incorporating different aspects from sort of secular disciplines into a lot of what I do with my biblical and theological work. I, I think work. you just explained what I was going to have you oh, okay. uh, explain about the whole process of interdisciplinary uh, kind of uh, yeah. perspectives. Yeah. And, and and you just said, so it's using other forms of yeah. uh, thought to kind of work together Correct. to interpret. Yeah, the way I sort of picture it for people on the radio, right? Uh, if you picture a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, and each of those puzzle pieces represents a part of the picture. And then they, they need each other to sort of fit in and, and fill out the whole picture of truth. And I think a lot of times when we think about interdisciplinary studies, we think about, you know, more like integration. Let's thread, uh, you know, uh, take a, a piece of thread and thread it through all of these different disciplines. I actually think of it more like the puzzle. 
And so God's word with interlocking and, pieces. With interlocking pieces. So God's word and, and, and theology have a particular truth that they convey. And it's a governing truth. It, I think it has to be there in order to really understand the rest of the disciplines. But as then we look at the rest of those disciplines, they start to fill in pictures that aren't covered in God's word. They, they start to add color to the picture, add different pieces to the pictures so that we can understand reality in new ways, all while being governed by theology. Hmm. And so it's sort of an old view. You know, it used to be, theology used to be called the queen of the sciences. And it was the governing sort of structure for all sort of modes of thought. And that's the way I really approach that interdisciplinary work. And this has got to be sad. It, it's sad for me, and I don't have the, the theological background you do, obviously. But it's got to be sad for someone that has studied the Word of God. And you know from history that there was a time that theology would have been called the queen of the sciences. And, and now we're in this culture where it's not only not that to the culture, it's despised and maybe completely rejected by the culture. Yeah, it, it all religious belief, and I, I think the, the scary part for me um, is that Christians are beginning to see religious conviction as a matter of opinion, not as a reflection of what really is there. Mm -hmm. And so as we've sort of allowed theology to fall away as an academic discipline that really does add value and truth into those academic conversations, I think we've also seen the culture sort of relegate it to the side and say, that's an interesting cottage industry, and I'm kind of glad you do it, but why don't you stay out of really serious conversations? Yeah. And so part of what I really love to do is to help people understand that these other disciplines do really fall underneath and are governed by the scriptures and theology, but they can also supplement the scriptures and theology. Bible doesn't, you know, just cover every topic on the planet, right? You're not going to find how to fix your car in the Bible, <laughs> right? right? And so, you know, those, the engineering and the mechanics and all those kind of things, they do add to our understanding of how the world works and what truth really is. Mm. But there are other disciplines like sociology or anthropology or psychology that oftentimes come at it from a humanist perspective. And what we need to do is re-govern those, pull theology back in over the top of them, and re-understand that some of the things they're really talking about are conditioned by a fallenness, sin, brokenness, all those kind of areas. And doing that is taking courage in this day and age. It very much is, and it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of fun, but I think that it also takes a lot of time to articulate it in ways that can be relatively winsome, mm -hmm. uh, both to a Christian audience that um, sometimes can be afraid of that interdisciplinary connection, but also to a secular audience that can come to appreciate the fact that the transcendent and the God that we serve is transcendent, and there's space for the transcendent in our lives. And, you know, getting back to the point of even appreciating the fact, as, as Paul says in Athens, that there's an unknown God out there, right, mm -hmm. is tough in secular culture today, yep. let alone getting to the specific God that we serve. And how cool it is that he was going to introduce them to these people That's right. that uh, had actually made that uh, that uh, memorial to the, uh, <laughs> I yeah, love that. To the unknown God. To the unknown God. Yeah. You know, James, when you, when you uh, think about what you've just talked about, your love for this man, the namesake of the yeah. center, the D.L. Moody Center, and... The, the work that is going on there, uh, I know that you're doing a lot more than just uh, talking about the works of, of that man. Yeah. Uh, tell us what is going forward out of that center with regards to the gospel. 
So what I believe that D.L. Moody really, part of his heart, he was an evangelist, and right, we recognize him as an evangelist. You know, 100 million people reached at a time when there was no broadcasting, there was no radio. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sailing around the world on ships. And so um, he reached 100 million people of the gospel. He was an evangelist. But I think part of what he knew deeply and was convinced about is that the church needed to take responsibility for proclaiming the Word of God. And that's the aspect of D.L. Moody's ministry that we really want to echo. And so as we're looking at our ministry, we're trying to extend that aspect of D.L. Moody's call to Christians to say, listen, we're not going to do all this evangelistic work for you. Uh, Moody's big statement was, it's better that 100 Christians would do the work of the gospel than one man. And he really wanted other Christians to come in around him. And so we're echoing that by challenging Christians to do things like defy the world and follow Christ but also just to proclaim the message of the kingdom in their everyday lives, mm-hmm. in their words and their deeds. And uh, we do that through things like the Go Dark Shine Bright campaign, which was a, it's a 10-day social media fast, followed by 10 days of proclaiming Christ on social media. Um, we do that through some of our other devotional activities and things like that that we put out. But we're really trying to encourage the church and build the church so that we can be the church in a world that really needs to see an alternative now, a lot of people would want to know, are you a pastor of a local church in addition to what your work there at the center? I am not a pastor of a local church, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty deeply involved in my church. And so um, I'm actually starting to work in the discipleship ministries with my local church. And I, I think one of the things that I'm become increasingly convicted about throughout my career is that we need the local churches to be strong. Mm-hmm. And so at D.L. Moody Center, we don't really want to do anything that weakens the local church. We don't want to do anything that draws people's attention away from service in the local church. Our ideal is to help the local church do discipleship at its level and mobilize those who it has most influence over. You know, as, as, as great as it is to have these conversations on the radio and as many people as we can reach, you know, I don't have an intimate relationship with those folks. Mm-hmm. I don't That's really right. know what's going on in yeah. their lives. And so hopefully, you know, some of the words we're speaking would be able to reach them and encourage them and challenge them. But ultimately, local pastors really do the hard work in the trenches. And I think that the local congregations that they serve really need to respect that, mobilize around that, and do what they can do in their community. That's beautiful. I know that uh, that's got to be exciting for your pastor to have a guy like you uh, <laughs> to, to be in the church. And I'm sure you fulfill the empty pulpits from time to time. I hope so. He, uh, the, the church that we go to is Skyline Church in O'Fallon, Illinois. And um, Jeff is our lead pastor. He is really fantastic. I've, I don't hear, I really enjoy his preaching. And he's just a fantastic guy on the side. And so I really can contribute in ways that don't distract from him. And it's, it's been great to find a place where we can just belong and serve and, and have a great time as a church. That's wonderful. Now, I've got to ask this before uh, the break that we we're going to take in a moment. Recently, I'm, I'm sitting in my home. I'm on the couch. I'm looking at my computer. And I go to Fox News. Mm-hmm. I do that occasionally, not as often as I used to. And I'm going through and I'm just spinning through looking at some of the different headlines when all of a sudden I see your picture. Now, again, this is our first face-to-face, but you and I have talked a number of times on the air uh, and over the phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I recognize you. I thought, wait a minute, that's James Spencer. And I look a little closer. It's got your family there. Fox did a big story on you. And I have to say it was a good story. Yeah. How did you pull that one off? 
Well, it was based on a podcast, so I was able to go out and be on Lauren Green's Lighthouse Faith podcast, talking about Christian Resistance, the new book, and just discussing that with her. And then after um, that interview, she decided to do an article write-up on some of the things that we had discussed, and that article came out of that. And so it was really... It's really been a blessing, I, I think, for somebody like me who's, you know, spent a lot of time in academia and, yeah. you know, thinking about academic writing, the influence academics really have in popular sort of modes. It's been a real blessing to be on on her podcast, you know, have the article written to be on shows like uh, like this one with you. Um, it's sort of surreal sometimes. Well, <laughs> it's it's surreal for me to have you on it. I mean, a, a guy with your background, a guy with your giftings, uh, it, it's uh, a lot of us would say, man, this guy has worked real hard, and it's just not fair that you look so young after all of the years, <laughs> already a Ph.D., and doing the things that you've accomplished. Uh, I just was thrilled that a, a major player in the news media picked up and did what is considered by me anyway, a very positive story. Right. And I mean, they put you in the highest, I think, the highest of regard. And that's not, that's not everybody's experience who find their picture on a major news source. No, it was a fantastic piece. And I, I really appreciated um, that opportunity to even be there with Lauren and, and, that, and to have the conversation yeah. with her. She was great. And then to have the article written was just kind of icing on the cake. Well, my visit today here, and we're going to be back with James for one more segment. James Spencer, Ph.D., the book that we've been talking about and the book of uh, that last article that we were just discussing is called Christian Resistance, and it is learning to defy the world and follow Christ, something that we all need to be doing, and I'm grateful that I have this copy and it's going to be really great. And we're going to talk about the uh, what's on the inside of this book when we return, some of the principles that we all need to know, so some of the things that will help us in this culture and at a time such as this. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Back for another couple of minutes now with my guest, James Spencer. If you've just tuned in, James is the uh, leader, the director of the M of the D.L. Moody Center. And the location for that, I know it's not where people think it is. Right, Northfield, Massachusetts. Up in the northeast, God's frozen chosen. That's right, that's right, yeah. Oh, Western that. Massachusetts, um, that's where D.L. Moody was born and where he relocated after the Chicago fire. And then he just did a lot of ministry out there as well. So rich history. I'd encourage people to go out there and take a look. Uh, MoodyCenter.org if you want to find out more or access the archives. Hmm. They're available for free uh, on our website. Oh, that's wonderful. And I had a chance today to hear the new pastor of the Moody Church okay. in Chicago this morning. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you know him? I don't. I know Erwin Lutzer. I know the, the previous yeah, pastor. Right. And so, but I'm sure he's great. Yeah. Hanging around Erwin Lutzer, by the way, is always a riot. I went to dinner with him, and I, it was my first time to be with him, and this was a couple of years ago. And we're sitting at Sonny's Barbecue. Now, have you gone to one of those yet? Yeah, yeah, I've been to one. Oh, man, really great barbecue. And I had no idea 
that Erwin Lutzer was one of the most prolific jokesters that you've <laughs> ever heard. Yeah, he really is. Uh, it's, it's a shock, isn't yeah. it? I think when I first met him, you know, you, you tend to, we went to Moody Church when we were in Chicago, and, uh, and so we heard Erwin preach, and um, when I first met him, which was when I came to the D.L. Moody Center, he's one of our board members, and so I sat down for lunch with him, and I was a little nervous that he wouldn't be what I hoped he'd be. <laughs> and he ended up being everything I hoped he'd oh, be. So, and more. great guy. Love spending time with him. And, yeah, really fantastic person. Well, he won over the server. I, I thought he yeah. was going to just blow her away. <laughs> but she loved it. Yeah. And he kept coming up. And we were all sitting around the table. Several of us were there. And we were cracking up at him yeah. all night long. Yeah, yeah. Really, really funny guy. Uh, but that vision, what I wanted to talk with you in the few minutes that we have left sure. is your take as a leader now in theology and you've got the background uh, but the practical side of being a minister dad to your children hmm. I know that's something that's you, you've got a large family yeah uh, I have a 17 year old son I have twin daughters they're 14 years old and then we actually have a foster daughter who we're planning to adopt and so she's two and a half right now and so, uh, yeah, being a pastor dad is, is interesting, a minister dad. Um, yeah. You know, I do it differently with my 17-year-old son than I do with my daughters. Um, Wise man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, my son's getting to the point where we're starting to release him a little further. You know, the leash is getting a little longer. And so we're trying to teach him to be responsible. You know, he's not under our roof quite as much anymore. He's going to be going to college. And so we're trying to give him more and more responsibility and just help him understand that, Listen, you, you have God's calling on your life, and we're going to move you forward in this faith, but we're not always going to be there to take care of every little thing. And so now it's your turn to start kicking in financially. We're pushing him to get a job. We're encouraging him to go to church. I don't wake him up on Sunday mornings anymore. He either gets up or he doesn't. And, you know, if he doesn't, we talk about how, you know, church is important and encourage that. But I've been encouraged he's been up more Sundays than he's been off. And you so know, that's, that's been great. A, now, you just said something that I think— I think a lot of people need to hear giving room for failure yeah. is something that a lot of moms and dads are afraid to take that step and put the ultimate decision, let's say, down upon the child to make the right decision. It's very hard. And we've we've had sort of a little mantra in our house for a long time. It's Christian first, no matter what. And we're anchored in our Christian faith. And the kids have known that they're going to be Christian in our house. We're Christian. And so um, Judah, who's my oldest, um, he knows that I want him to go to church. He knows that's the expectation. You know, he knows that's the hope. But I also realize that once he goes off to college, I have very little control about what he's doing on Sunday yeah. morning. And so it needs to be his choice. He yeah. needs to see the value in it. He needs to recognize that it's important to be part of an ecclesial community. And so we've done some things, even as we've gone to look for colleges, we've also looked for churches. And we've tried not to just look at the college and say, oh, wouldn't this be a great place to learn? We've also tried to find a faith community that would really shepherd him beyond what we're going to be able to do when he goes off to college. Well, I wish you the best. Your family is beautiful. I've seen the pictures of them and Thank never you. seen them in person, but it is a, a gorgeous thing. And I know you have a heart and having read how you input and talk about uh, these issues of parenting and what you're doing in a, a real way. It's taking it out of the ethereal and making it very practical, and you're living the life, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate it. Glad we finally got to do a sit-down face-to-face. Me too. Face. This is great. All right. 
James Spencer, Dr. James Spencer, I should be saying, my friend, <laughs> uh, from the D.L. Moody Center. It's so great to have you here on The Shepherd. Here at the NRB and a new friend that I've just got to meet, and I find out that we are just uh, connected through some mutual friends that I was not aware of. Mark Robb is the director of uh, part of this area in Central Florida for what's called CEF, that's Child Evangelism Fellowship. And that's something that I'll I'll tell you a a little bit about it in a moment that I've heard about for many, many years. You've done a great work for years in taking the gospel in a one-on-one basis to the hearts of kids and their parents. And you just have done a great job. Mark, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really, uh, this is a space that we've not been in before because we didn't ever used to do videos or radio. And uh, here we are at the this National uh, Religious Broadcasters Conference because prior to COVID, we were just doing one-on-one evangelism with children, but COVID really pushed us into a place where we needed to produce TV and we needed to produce radio. And so here we are. You pivoted. Yes, absolutely. You 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 had to to do it. Everybody had to in that day and age. And isn't it wonderful that God gave us though, the Zoom ministry technology, that kind of thing that was there during that time, but I pray we never go back to all those meetings. I, I pray we stay right where we are right now, and thank God for the things that you now you have the best of both worlds. You're back, absolutely, absolutely, um, being able to meet face to face. But then you have that other aspect as well that is obviously yeah. proven uh, to be uh, uh, at least functional for yeah. you. Well, I would share with with people out there that uh, you know kids are in front of screens. Uh, look around, you'll see kids behind all kinds of screens. Sad and, as it uh, is, it's yeah. true. And yeah. uh, there's two kinds of things that kids can look at on screens. Uh, one is what I would call digital candy. Candy's not good for you. You eat too much candy, you're going to get sick. And uh, and yet kids spend a lot of time consuming digital candy. Mm-hmm. But there are ministries out there, like Child Evangelism Fellowship, that are producing digital veggies, vegetables, good stuff to be consuming. If you're going to have a child behind a screen then you need to look for content that is not candy, but it's veggies. Yeah. And uh, veggies uh, in, in our world, and we're not talking about veggie tales. I'm talking about just content that is Bible lessons, missionary stories, Bible verses, songs. And it's all, and for us, we have a platform called Unite, and it's an app. You know, it's uh, Unite, like the word Unite, U-N-I-T-E. You can look it up, and uh, that's an app that's a safe place for a child to consume, not digital candy, but mm-hmm. digital vegetables. Now, when you have this involvement, with, as you do with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and it's been around again for how many years? It's, 86 years. I knew it had been 1937. a long time. 1937. Yeah. So this is not a new kit on the block that we're talking about right now. It's tried and true. Yes. You've been doing it, and yet I think a lot of people still... Uh, would not be aware of just the scope and maybe even the purpose and the reach of this ministry. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, so Child Evangelism Fellowship is a worldwide ministry to children. We're the largest and the oldest ministry to children. And our focus really is that child that exists outside the walls of the church and really coming alongside churches to assist them in reaching children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our purpose statement has been the same since 1937. It's to evangelize boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ 
It is to disciple them in the Word of God and to finally to establish them in a local church. Hmm. Everything we do is pointed at one of those three things, evangelism, discipling, and then establishing at a local church. And so that ministry happens worldwide. I happen to be a local director here in Florida that oversees some counties and the ministry that goes on there. But the primary ministry that most people or many people may recognize here in the United States especially is the Good News Club. And it's actually an after-school Bible club, hold your seats, after-school Bible club that meets at the public elementary school. And if you're now wondering, is that legal? Are we allowed to do that? We absolutely <laughs> That's a are great allowed question to do that in this yeah. day and age. Yes. Yeah. But you you're doing it. Yes. And you know um, the backing behind that is back in 2001, there was an actual court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. It was between the Good News Club and a school district in New York. The Supreme Court got the case and they said, "Hey, if you're doing anything at your public school, anything at all." then you have to allow a good news club because you cannot discriminate based on viewpoint. Okay, we have equal access to our spaces and nobody gets to say, well, I don't like the Bible, so you're not welcome here. The Supreme Court really swung the doors, re-swung the doors open to every school in the United States so that we can be there on campus doing a Bible club. Now this is after school, okay? So this is after the school day is done. The children that go to Good News Club have to have parental permission to come. So we've got children that their parents have said, well, I, this is where I want my child to be. And, uh, and yet, I will share with you, if you uh, have a Good News Club on an elementary school campus, a few things happen. One of the things that happens is right away, there are Christian administrators, Christian teachers, and then Christians that exist on that public school campus that right away say, wow, I had no idea there was all these other kids that believe in Jesus Christ that are here on my campus because they're coming to the Good News Club. Mm -hmm. But more than that, there's many kids that have never heard about Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with those children. And I will, I will say that if you're listening to this program and you're a teacher in a public elementary school, guess what? Your hands are tied in the classroom. You're not really able to talk about Jesus Christ. But in a Good News Club, you can pivot from being the teacher in the classroom to being the teacher of the Good News Club. And I will tell you, if you'll commit to teaching a Good News Club at your school, every child in your classroom will come to that Good News Club because they say, hey, Mrs. Smith is teaching the Good News Club. I'm going to the Good News Club. Wow. And so that's our primary ministry that happens during the school year. But there's other things that we do as well. I think a lot of people would be asking in this day of cancel culture, in the day of uh, kind of people getting the feeling where it's post-Christian kind of thought that's going out there. Uh, what is what is it that has made uh, CEF kind of almost impervious to that? Well, you know, you've got the Supreme Court behind you. We have a, you know, a constitutional right to be there. Um, but more than that, we have organizations behind us that help school districts to understand what is legal and what is not legal. Right here in uh, Orlando, Florida, we have Liberty Council, uh, lc.org. Yeah, if you're right. not familiar with Liberty Council, look them up. Matt Staver's a good they guy. They are a yeah. huge huge advocate of the Child Evangelism Fellowship Good News Club. Mm -hmm. And so when we have a little pushback, sometimes we do, they send a very nice letter that says this is something that is legal and it, you should allow it on your campus. And um, generally, all it takes is to get a letter like that that says, hey, you know, you want to give some serious thought to, you know, pushing back on this. And we have that kind of protection. But, you know, this is God's work. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's allowed us to be on these campuses. And I will tell you, we're living in an age right now. You can see it happening at school board meetings and other places. Um, this is a place that we need to be. 
This is a place that we need to be sharing the love of Jesus in a, in a setting that children need to hear about Jesus. What are the age ranges that you uh, w- work with, with Yeah, this? typically this would happen at an el- elementary school age. So we, we handle kindergarten through fifth grade. That's what the Good News Club would be uh, serving there on the campus. And so uh, our ministry primarily is that elementary school age child. Okay. And so when you have these meetings, then that would just mean that you're there at the end of the school day so that the kids who are finishing there at the school, they're able to stay with, again, parental blessing and also the blessing of the school and the teachers. And then how long does that uh, Yeah, so what I tell people that are thinking about this as a ministry, um, generally uh, a ministry like the Good News Club is best done um, by a church. A church has the people. Uh, We provide the training, the screening, the insurance, the curriculum. We provide everything else, everything that you would need to do the ministry. But as a volunteer, we tell the volunteers to, you're looking at about a two-hour commitment. And what that means is that you're going to arrive early on campus to check in in the office. You're going to do the club for about an hour and a half. Part of the club involves a snack. If you have food, they will come. (laughs) And uh, the rest of the program is uh, what gets done. We get uh, Bible verses, Bible lesson, missionary story, songs. It's a, a very well put together program that's been developed over, like you said, over 80 years. 80 years, And yeah. so it's something that um, works out well for a church to really communicate to the community. We love your children. We do this Good News Club because we love your children. And now we can make connection with families that of children that come to a Good News Club. That's awesome. Well, this is really exciting. Uh, I'm talking today to Mark Robb with CEF Child Evangelism Fellowship. And uh, give us the website for how people can get more information, not only in the Good News Club, but maybe to become part of the chapter that's around. Absolutely. So um, not sure where this is getting out to, but the best way to figure out where your local chapter is is to go to cefonline.com. And on that website, you're going to see a tab that says Get Involved, and it'll actually direct you to your local chapter. Here in Florida, we have 12 chapters that cover the 67 counties that we have in Florida. And so if you're hearing us in Florida, then you can know that there is a chapter that's covering your area, and they very much can really walk you through the process of starting that Good News Club at a public elementary school. That's great. Mark, Rob, thank you for being with us. Yes, thank you. That is all my time for today. See you next time right here on The Shepherd.